0: it is good to be back um, in uh, church this morning. I've taken a little bit of a break, and uh, man, it is good to hear the saints sing together, isn't it? Um, You guys are amazing this morning in the way you guys worshiped. It is pleasing to the Lord, and uh, I'm excited for today's sermon. Um, We are in the midst of Experiencing God, a series that's built upon building your relationship with God, and not only building your relationship with God, but learning how to hear from Him, learning how to experience Him in a powerful way. And uh, we've been going through some of these realities and looking about how God speaks and how He works and how He um, interacts with us. And I just want to recap really quick with you some of the things that we've been talking about. And uh, the first reality is that we've got to believe and understand that God is always at work around you. Scripture says that. Scripture talks about that. And sometimes we live in life and we feel like God's not at work around us Uh, it seems like he's not involved and in some of those times in our lives we have to be willing to go God's still at work even though I may not see it may not understand it I may not feel it but I have to believe because his word says that God is still at work around me God pursues a love a continuing love relationship with you that is real and that is personal And God, not only is a work, but he has a relationship, wants to have a relationship with you, and he's pursuing you. He's pursuing every single one of us. And he wants us to experience him in a real and personal way. Number three, God invites you to become involved in his work. And so it's not just a matter of that God is pursuing a love relationship with you. He actually wants to involve you in the things that he is doing and involved in here on earth. And he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. Through circumstances, uh, through the Bible, prayer, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And so God invites us in this relationship, and he involves us in his work, and he speaks to us in a myriad different ways. And uh, Joel and Joe have done a great job the last two weeks breaking that down when it comes to how does God speak to us. Today we're going to be talking about probably the most important, uh, or I wouldn't say the most important, the one topic that I actually love the most when it comes to experiencing God. Um, and it's this topic that obviously when we first like learn about it, it it's almost like um, an uncomfortable part of experiencing God. Um, and, and I, I want to describe it in this way. Um, there's this joke that goes on between me and my wife when we communicate to one another. And this is how the joke usually goes is usually it involves me asking her to do something that she actually doesn't want to do. And instead of saying, I don't want to do that, what well, my wife does is she just says, what? <laughs> and I always know that she absolutely heard what I said. But she goes, what? And my response to her is, did I stutter? <laughs> and she look, gives me the look, you know, like, and then she starts to process what it is that I asked her and why she doesn't want to do what I asked her to do. And the thing that I would compare that to is like in movies where there's the record scratch freeze frame. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's become famous. Or it's the, you know, like, and you're like, uh, this is an awkward moment. And this is like a, a freeze frame record scratch moment. And the reality of it is, is this happens in our relationship with Jesus. This happens when God begins to speak to us in prayer, through his word, in relationships, in circumstances where God speaks and you're like, what? And God's like, did I stutter? <laughs> and this is like so apparent in lots of different ways throughout Scripture, but I just want to start off in the story of Exodus, where God is hearing the cries of his people. God's people have been enslaved, and not only are they enslaved, they're experiencing all sorts of turmoil. And in the midst of experiencing turmoil, God begins to speak to Moses. And as he speaks to Moses, he says, I'm hearing the cries of my people. And it talks about this in Exodus chapter 3. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the ites. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, Israelites, out of Egypt. And here's the record scratch moment. What? Excuse me? Did I stutter? And listen to what Moses has to say. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And if you go on to read the rest of the story, Moses is like, I'm not even a good speaker. Like, why are you sending me? Like, why don't you send Aaron? Why don't you send somebody else? And God's like, no, I'm sending you. And this is the moment where we begin to experience the next reality. And the next reality is this, that God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Do you hear the crisis of belief in Moses? He's arguing with God. Have you ever argued with God? God asks you to do something? God invites you into something? And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Thank you, Jim. And this is the crisis of belief moment where we as God's people have to decide what we're going to do with what God is inviting us to do. And the thing of it is we have to realize is that as God invites us into his work, there's always going to be a crisis of belief, and it's always been that way. These encounters with God will always cause a crisis of belief that require us to take a leap of faith. All the great people that walked with God God talks about these people, that they were amazing people of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 3. What's it say? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By Abel... "'brought God a better offering than Cain did. "'By faith he was commended as righteous "'when God spoke well of his offerings. "'And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead.'" Verse 5, "'By faith Enoch was taken from this life, "'so he did not experience death. "'He could not be found because God had taken him away. "'For before he was taken, "'he was commended as one who pleased God. "'And without faith it is impossible to please God "'because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists "'and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him.'" by Noah by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family let's talk about Noah for a second the Lord's going to do a work he's going to destroy the world I want you to build a boat Noah for you and your family How many times did Noah go, What? How many times do people go, What are you doing, Noah? The crisis of belief always comes into play when God speaks to us. Because oftentimes the things that God invites us into, the world looks at and goes, That's crazy. And that doesn't make any sense. And God says, you're right, it doesn't. But I'm inviting you into this. By faith, Noah, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous. That is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. God's like, I want you to go. Where do you want me to go? I'll tell you, just go. Packs up all this stuff and goes. At what point did Abram, Abraham go? "What? Do you really want me to do this, Lord? If you walk with the Lord in any amount of time, you're going to experience this. Where God invites you into His work, He invites you to do something, and you're going to go. Are you sure, God? And for all of you guys that have have been a part of real life for a while, you know this about me. For those of you guys that are new, um, I experienced this when I was 18 years old and went on a mission trip to Tijuana. And God said, you can go and do your plans. You can go to NNU. You can go become a teacher. You can go become a high school football coach. You can go win state championships. You can go and do all that. Or you can do what I'm up to. I'm inviting you into my thing, into my church. What role are you going to play? And that question haunted me. Haunted me all the way back from Tijuana, back to here at Meridian, Idaho. And I was asking God, what? What does that mean? And what I knew was what was clear was next was that I needed to go to Boise Bible College. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand what I was going to do there. I even was bargaining with God. Well, okay, God, I'll go but I'm still going to do the teacher thing but I just need to go to Boise Bible College first and he's like, "Uh Mm uh-huh but I want to tell you the crisis of belief not only is it a a piece of, of wrestling with God which I did but here's the thing when you enter into the crisis of belief with God there will be other people that don't understand what you're doing so the people that didn't understand was my family my family didn't understand why I was going to Bible college. My family didn't understand why I would go to a school that's only accredited nationally but not regionally. My family didn't understand. They asked questions, they made comments, they said things like, Why would you go to a school like that? They asked a Christian family, What are you going to do there? You're just so smart. I wish you would go to a real school. Crisis of belief. Crisis of belief that when I went to my last day of my senior year and I was going to tell people that I'm no longer going to NNU, that I'm going to Boise Bible College, what would they think when they would ask, as we're signing each other's yearbooks, asking for each other's phone numbers? You're not going to NNU? Where are you going? Boise Bible College. Huh. There's always a crisis of belief. There's always this step of faith that God invites us into. And it it doesn't make sense to us at first. It didn't make sense to Moses. It doesn't make sense to the world. But God invites us into the journey of experiencing Him and having a real relationship with Him. And here's the thing. The encounters with God, they're they're God-sized. The encounters with God are God-sized. For me to to not go to NNU, to have half of my tuition paid for through scholarships and to say no to that, to go to Boise Bible College, for me at 18 years old, that's a God-sized thing. It's like, man, why am I doing this? What is God inviting me into? What's happening? They're always God-sized Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, if you know the story, continue on from the Exodus. God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. And Moses was rebellious, and a whole generation was rebellious, and God said, you're not going to get the promised land. And so Joshua eventually gets the promised land. He gets to go because he actually lived by faith. And of course, God, as he sends them over into the promised land, he doesn't send them into the promised land with just an easy ride into the promised land. Why? Because God wants his people to understand that what I'm inviting you into has to be driven by me. Faith in me. God-sized dreams by me. And so when does he send Joshua over to the promised land to cross the Jordan River? It says it in Joshua chapter 3. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So all the people... The priests go in front. The Ark of the Covenant goes in front. Now the Jordan is at, what's it say? Why has God got to be like that? Hey, we're going to cross the Jordan. We're going to do it during the flood stage. What? What, God? Yeah. We're going to do it during the flood stage. I want want to remind you guys. I've already done it with the Red Sea. We're going to do it with the Jordan River now. So you would understand that I'm the one leading this. I'm the one directing it. All during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry. Dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation completed the crossing on dry ground. Experiences with God are always God sized. So much so that people are like, yeah, it was dry y'all dry but it gets better god says hey i want you to take the first city and it's jericho large city at the time heavily fortified people are like you know god you know he stopped the sea the river from flowing so we're good to go here's the plan god says i want you to go and i want you to march around the city with all the men once Sounds good, God. Then we'll attack. Nope. I want you to do that for six days. Just march around the city. Intimidation factor. Totally makes sense, God. Then we're going to attack, right? Nope. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city and I want you to blow your horns. And I want you to bring the priests along too. Cool, more men. Blow the horns, make them scared. Makes sense. Then we'll attack, right? Nope. What kind of battle plan is this, Lord? I just want you to blow your horns, and then I want you to yell. And then we attack? No. As soon as you yell, all the walls are going to come down. What? What? The experiences with God always lead to a crisis of belief. The experiences with God are always God's sides. The experiences with God are things that we look at and we go, that doesn't make any sense. And God says, yeah. Yep. When we decided as a church, when I came back from sabbatical, the thing that I told the elders, I said, it's time for us to move on from Mountain View High School. I believe that. It's time for us to find a permanent facility. And the elders prayed, the staff prayed, and we agreed that that was the next step. What we didn't understand in that next step is what it was going to cost us financially. To go from paying a rent um, of Mountain View High School, an office, and to go and get um, a permanent facility, eventually meant it was going to cost triple what we were currently paying. And I remember sitting in the elders meeting saying, guys, are you really ready for this? Do we really believe that God is calling us to do this? Because financially, this doesn't make any sense. And we talked for about a month and we prayed for about a month. And finally, the elders and the staff said, we believe this is what God is calling us to do. And we took that leap of faith. Financially it didn't make any sense. We even raised money to help cover the margin for about six months. As we moved into this facility, here's what God did. Not only has our budget doubled as a church since we moved into this facility, we have hired more staff, and we have seen our church double in size, and we have seen our savings increase. 10 times what we had before in the midst of COVID that doesn't make any sense but when God's in the middle of it, it's God sized so for one reason, so he gets all the credit because God can do we've said this before in the sermon series God can do in 10 weeks what we would try and do in 100 years God can do it just like that. And so what does it look like for you to begin the process of really trusting what God is saying to you? And that moment where you go, what? Are you willing to trust him? What do you do when God speaks, reveals what you really believe? Is God really calling on me? to do and to take this next step. And what you do, your action, it speaks and reveals to what you really believe about who God is. And this is what's great about Peter. Peter was one of the guys that, even though he was a knucklehead who made a lot of mistakes and was prideful at times, in his core, he really believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the first one to admit it. He was the first one to declare it. And it becomes so apparent that when God speaks, he he really, at his core, he believed who Jesus was. Matthew chapter 14, in the midst of the storm, Jesus is walking on water. What? Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. And we don't see any crisis of belief in Peter. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But When he saw the wind and was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, you, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were, near, uh, were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, Peter knew who Jesus was. And I would argue knew exactly what Jesus was capable of. Peter began to doubt, not Jesus, but he began to doubt himself. I am actually doing this? And God's like, yes, you are. What you do speaks to what you really believe about God. Number four, true faith, it requires action. The hall of faith, every single person, they had faith, but it took action. And it takes action for us to take that next step. The large steps of faith and action are built upon the small, obscure, obedient steps. You might be here this morning, you might be saying, God's never invited me into a big, audacious thing a God-sized thing. Uh, Just wait. Just wait, because He will. The question that you have to ask yourself is, are you being obedient in the small things now? The small things that God invites us into all the time. I'm not hearing God's voice. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you opened up His Word? Because He's speaking to you. When was the last time you sought Him in prayer in your marriage? Because he's speaking to you. When was the last time that you put yourself in a circumstance, a situation that required a dependency on God? He wants to speak to you. How many of you are in real relationship with other believers? I'm not talking about saying hi to each other on Sunday morning in the lobby. I'm talking about doing real life together. I'm talking about being in a small group where you live life together, where you even vacation together, where you go camping together. You find out what you're really like when you go camping together. (laughs) When life hits, when tragedy hits, who rallies around you? God speaks in these moments, and he speaks through the people who love you and are in real relationship with you. Who are those people? And if you want to experience God in a God-sized way, it's going to require you to be obedient in the little things. The Bible talks about that. If you're faithful with little, you'll be given much. But if you're not faithful with little, it'll be taken away. What are the small, obscure steps? What is God calling on you to do when it comes to taking those small, obscure steps? What what do I mean by that? I think getting connected to a small group is a small step. I'm saying it's huge. That's what it may feel like right now. But what happens when God calls you to branch that home group and to start a new home group? What about when it comes to serving in the church? Ah, it's a huge next step. Yeah. Well, what happens when he invites you to lead a ministry? When it comes to tithing? Whew, huge step. What happens when he invites you to give even more than that? Be faithful in the small, obscure steps. Because as you take these steps of action... God begins to speak in powerful ways that invites us to even big, God-sized dreams. What if we were to allow the crisis of belief to shape us to God's purposes instead of staying in our comfort zone? And I just want to speak to this really quick for some of us. So for some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you've stayed in an insulated area of comfort And Jesus is saying, It's time to get out of the boat. Time to get out of the boat. But it's comfortable. Yep. But I don't work in comfort, God says. I will work in God sized next steps. I invite you to more dependency, greater dependency on me. So, what is Jesus inviting you into? What is that next step? And here's the thing this is what I know. Doesn't matter whether it's my faith. Doesn't matter whether it's my diet. Whether I'm exercising. There's always the groan stage. That's the crisis of belief, right? God invites us into something, and I have to only eat two thousand calories a day in a healthy, balanced diet. I got to go work out to the gym, even though I've had a long day and I don't really want to. I'm going to the gym. If you want to move out of your comfort zone, it's going to require you to get into the ground zone. It's going to require you to go, God, I don't know about this. I understand. I'm inviting you to something greater. Will you trust me? And what you do after that reveals what you really believe about God. So, what would it look like to step out of our comfort zone? What would it look like to trust Him? couple things to think about. We cannot stay where we are and go with God as we wrap up. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. God's going to require you. He's going to ask you to move, to do something new, to do something different. And we must make changes in our life to follow God. Remember, God's at work. He's at work all around us. He's going to pursue you in a personal relationship with him he's going to speak to you you're going to have a crisis of belief it's going to require you because God's at work to adjust your life to what he's doing and oftentimes that's painful because we have to say no to other things so we can say yes to God and his call in our life and that requires grieving because that's, that's loss is what that is it's saying I'm going to say no to this I'm going to say no to this old way of living. I'm going to say no to the things that I've believed. And I'm going to begin the process of trusting God in a deeper way. And for some of us this morning, it's time for us to step out. It's time for us to step into the new season that God's calling us to. A God-sized season. And God is interested in partnering with people who will trust him before seeing the result. I love the story as they moved into the, the river during flood stage. It wasn't like they got to the edge of the water and were like, any minute, God. River's still going. Did you catch what it said? the water stopped. And the crisis of belief is that when God invites us to do something and we don't see the result yet, He invites us. He wants to meet with those people because those people are the people that are all in, all dependent on God. Well, I don't know what's going to happen on the other end. I've got to see this before I can do this. God's like, no. Trust me. Take the step. And when God shows up, what we do next reveals what we really believe about Him. And for some of you, you've taken that step and it didn't work out how you thought. You had these dreams, you had these visions, you had these thoughts about your work, about your marriage, about your kids, your relationship with your kids. And you took the step and you crashed and burned. Maybe you didn't crash and burn. Maybe this was God's plan all along. And even though it's been hurtful, it's been hard, and you go, God, why would you allow this? Here's the thing. As God knit you together in your mother's womb, and before he created you, he knew that that day would come, and he says in his word that he will make all things new and good for those who trust him, even the stuff that hurts even the stuff that you thought God was right in the middle of it and then all of a sudden felt like God wasn't, God says, I'm still working. I'm not stopping. I have something more for you. The question is, will you keep trusting, keep moving forward? What What you do reveals what you really believe about God, especially when it's really, really hard. are willing to just keep walking faithfully, a legacy of faith is being revealed in your life and in those that walk around you. So, as we wrap up this morning, as we get ready to go to the table, where we get to have a meal with Jesus about his body and his death and his burial, and his resurrection, his blood poured out for us. This is what I want to ask you at the the table, is what crisis of belief is God calling you into right now? What thing are you going, what? Really? Are you sure, God? I want you to have a conversation with him about it right now. And some of you already know the thing that God's telling you to do, the action. I want you to surrender that to Jesus this morning. Some of you, it is the scary reality of getting connected relationally, the scary reality of getting into that baptistry and getting baptized, the scary reality of, do I want to surrender my finances to God? Whatever it is, surrender it today at the table because he's with you. And here's the thing, whatever God has for us, it's far better than anything we can make up on our own. Far better. So trust Him this morning. Spend some time with Jesus as we get ready to share a meal with Him.